Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning. Grant to men such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, so what, what um, Brett Kelly does for us, he, this is recorded every time, but even with Toronto early, he'll, he'll cut off the chit-chat. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> since, we had, since we had two apologies, I just want to be clear, there's no seal of the confession here. This is, this is a public confession, and it, it could be recorded and used, uh, used yeah, we wouldn't use it against you, you know, unless, uh, so. Um, there was one time when we were talking a little bit, we kind of talked, I made a comment because I hear quite early, and I remember saying something was like, it wasn't like nasty or bad, it was just like, that's, that's red, it's not recording. It was like, oh no, I don't really want to be on record for that. Busted, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. reminds well, we'll get to that today, because in the psalm it talks about, about uh, what God hears and sees. <laughs> it's a good reminder if you, if there's some reason you wouldn't say it in some other place, maybe you just don't want to say it. <laughs> so. so, as I said by email, I hope you all got, um, we're going to bust out of our um, going right through the Psalms in order. We went about 10 of them. Uh, and we're going to start jumping around uh, as we get into Advent and Epiphany and Pre-Lent. I've actually got a list up until Lent. I didn't send it out yet, so I want to look at it again, at it again, and we'll start just doing more seasonal stuff uh, for for that. Um, and so today we're doing Psalm 50, which um, has always struck me as, as a, you know, it's it's one of the Psalms for this Sunday. So one of the ways I I um, um, am selecting them is looking at our lectionary. So I go to Sunday. More you know, prayer book, lectionary, you see what psalms are picked. And there's some, um, uh, you know, court, thematic correspondence between those psalms and the Sunday lessons or something about the season. It's not, in, and so that's, how, that's why I've chosen this. Is, this is one of the, of the psalms that, um, that really, it, it seems to really um, sum up Advent. So someone said last time that um, Father Hayden began your time by reading the whole psalm. I think that's probably a good thing to do. So I'll read the whole psalm, and then let's go back and walk our way through it and talk about it. So Psalm 50. The Mighty One, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. 
a fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all its fullness. While I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats, offer to God thanksgiving, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers me praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct right, I will show the salvation of God. So, um, there's a few themes that kind of jump out from the beginning. One, um, God starts this, or the psalm starts with a number of names for God. Um, the Mighty One, God, the Lord. Um, um, and that's mentioned only in a couple other places like this, but it's, it's the, it, it, it highlights the speaker as as the God of Israel. Um, and he's spoken, and calling the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down, what, what does that mean? Okay. Okay. You, you think that's time or geography? Oh. Okay, all right. So it seems if you call it, call, yes, yeah, so I mean, you could get, you, I'm calling, and that, which is an interesting, that's an interesting thought, whether it's the central one, but, um, because if you're calling, you know, the idea that God is calling us all the time, gather, mm-hmm. come. How about called into existence? Well, I think here we're going to be clear that he's talking to people he's already in a relationship with. So this is an image of judgment. He's going to gather my saints. So this, um, this, um, got it. 
so if we take from the rising of the sun to its going down, um, it can be both uh, temporal all day, or that's kind of the whole world from you know the the from the east to the west is so it could be east to west, which may be the predominant image here. So he's spoken. He's calling the earth. And what's he's, he's calling here? Um, what's he calling the earth to? Huh? To worship him. Yeah, it, 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 he is calling them that, but the psalm seems to to there's a I, there's probably a different preeminent word here. Oh, can I set yeah, up a court system? Yeah. You know, he's yeah, calling court. Them yes. To account. To account. So account. He's just, this is judging. Mm-hmm. For so. I mean, we ought to think about this because I think sometimes in the creeds we sort of blithely say, "He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead." This is what this is talking about. He's coming to judge. You know, oh, oh, this is what it looks like. And sometimes we don't get the image of it. So he's saying this is a gathering. He's calling the world to account, and it's very the image is very courtroom oriented. Um, and God's so He's calling the world. He's spoken, calling the world from east to west, and we could add to that. I like the the perpetual um, sense of this um, all day long, which may not be the preeminent image because it seems to be a moment. Does give the other sense of this that God is always calling us to to come and hear Him. Like we say every day at morning prayer, most days when we use Psalm 95 for the Benaiti, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So it's a perpetual call, and it's important we understand we don't just have some future judgment. Um, and there's also, I think, here, um, a sort of Eucharistic image here. Um, calls everyone to himself, gather my saints. Where does that preeminently take place? It takes place when the church gathers. And um, the, the, um, the, you know, the Old Testament word, at least the intertestament word, is synagogue, the gathering together, uh, or the ecclesia, the called, I'm calling, the ones who have been called to, to God. So there's very much... Um, and this is why, I, as a, as a, you know, we teach fairly, fairly regularly that the Eucharist prefigures the judgment at the end of time. We all come. He, 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 he appears to us, and yet, but he appears to us for salvation. But the reason that we have a hope at the end of time for salvation is that we're accessing it right now. We're putting our faith right now. We're, we're responding the way he's talking about. And, and that's one, one thing about the, um, uh, um, the idea of the life of prayer is really very much of staying in constant contact with this God who calls us. And the reason of reading the word of God, the scriptures, is that we can hear what he's saying so we can really respond to them rather than just, you know, blithely going through our life. And, and we'll talk and we'll see because there's this psalm is clearly a commentary on religion of a certain sort.
So he spoke and called the earth rising, the sun going out of, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. He'll come out of Zion. He'll be revealed in Zion um, in the midst of his people. Which is interesting there because these images have different horizons of meaning even there. Zion is a location in the Near or Middle East, but Zion is the people, the New Jerusalem, which in Revelation comes down from God as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, but doesn't it say he, he will appear to all people at, all, at the same time? It says every eye will see him, um, uh, which, I mean, it's an interesting thing to, to, to you know, when we start get talking about, uh, we can hear, hear dealing with the way that, that Christ reveals himself to all people perpetually. Um, if we think about the, the revelation of Christ at the end of time, which he just uses a word called parousia, or um, actually the word um, a, a, apocalypse, or revealing, or epiphania, revealing, which we get our season of epiphany, are words that, that loom large with that, that second coming imagery. It's an interesting uh, challenge in a round world for every eye to see him which suggests that the revelation has a new dimensional reality. That's, that, that's the only way it makes any sense, that the presence is real, personal, but transcends so that somebody here and in you know, Australia... <laughs> that, was, that was always laughing. But I, I'm not, I, I think this is silly, but uh, I remember one of the radio guys was talking about in the rapture theology, which you know subscribe to, but one way that everyone would see him because they televise it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, it'll be on satellite. So you just, you know, just try to tune into their station and you'll be there for the second coming. It'll be on your iPhone. Yeah. Um, so it, it's one of the reasons because the dimensional reality of, of, the, of the consummation of all things in Christ is way beyond our current scientific understanding, you can only deal with it in images and pictures, you know, and, and, and it's really problematic to push it beyond that. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, I, I think the, the best way to understand is all, there are all sorts of dimensions of reality that we don't see. Mm -hmm. And those will be revealed to us, and then it'll be, oh, <laughs> we'll realize how stupid we are yeah, right. now in relation to how we will and see. And we that. wasted time yeah. doing what? <laughs> so um, he's summoning and gathering this people like we gather in worship. Um, God will shine forth, a fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Where in the, where in the Bible does God appear? in this kind of stormy way. The burning of, um, okay, in the bush. It's certainly fiery in the bush there. How about um, in creation? Certainly there is a lot of stuff going on there. I can't remember the fire image so much. Not Job. Sinai. Huh? Job, the whirlwind. Job yeah. and the whirlwind. And Zion. I'm Zion. 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 Mount Zion. Pentecost. Pentecost. Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, but it wasn't a, I guess, Tim Hatch to us. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's fire, and and I mm-hmm. think the um the the uh well, let's fire the burning burning bush. Yeah. So let let's stick with the 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 giving the covenant to 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 through Moses to Israel on Mount Sinai. This is recounted in Exodus chapter nineteen. Um, the pillar of fire. The pillar of fire. Uh, I mean, let me, let me just, let me just, I mean, maybe I, I don't want to act like this is in everyone's memory without uh, needing to say anything more. So let me read some about this event. If I can get my fingers to turn pages. <laughs> so it says, um, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud in the mountain and the sound of a trumpet very loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God gather my saints together to me. Um, And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long, long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So God revealing himself here on a mountain, gathering his people, but all this stuff, fire. So it's an image that's very much driven initially from that um, Sinai, Sinai. Now it repeats in the Psalms that God comes this way, uh, but that's the one time people got to kind of see it. Then part of the Pentecost image is is the um, the idea that well. Fire in the old in the Old Testament, um, there's a kind of sacrifice that was called the whole burnt offering. So you you offered it, and the God, the fire came and consumed it completely. And um, and that was the that was the problem of the old covenant that if you were to offer yourself. That's probably animals. That's why you kept continually needed more of them because each one could only survive one sacrifice like that. And then if that, you know, take for example the Day of Atonement, if that atoned for sins up to that point, but then not for tomorrow, this this one Hebrews talks about this. But then Jesus being an eternal sacrifice, having accomplished forever forgiveness of sins for his people. The Holy Spirit comes down as fire, and it introduces this um, concept, is really a new covenant concept, of a living sacrifice. We offer ourselves or souls by living sacrifices. We can be consumed by the, uh, we can be 
uh, you know, the fire of God can inhabit us and purify us without consuming us. And uh, I think at root, this is because now with the baptismal gift of the spirit and of eternal life, there's something in us that's eternal that cannot be consumed. And therefore, what this what the purification of the Christian life is doing is cleaning off that which is is temporal. Um, I, th- I still think, I mean, people who know more literature than I do, but T.S. Eliot has a great, in four quartets, his description of Pentecost, where he talks about you either, either burn by fire or fire, is one of Bishop Morris's favorite lines, but the idea that the fires of hell, they're all the love of God, but when we are al- made alive by God, that fire purifies and, and enlivens, but when but it's the same. It's the same thing as the image of TSL. There's actually, and this is actually, um, is probably worth uh, if I can find this because it just came to mind. A passage in Hebrews that. Um, worth, if it doesn't take me too long to find here. Um, Oh, yeah, so here it is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. And the author of Hebrews is talking to the Christian community and contrasting the old covenant scene at Mount Sinai when the people were just afraid. What they said is, Moses, you go talk to him. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to talk to him. <laughs> you talk to him for us. That's good enough. He says, uh, Hebrews 12, 18 says, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words. So that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. If so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood was need to be avenged, cried out for vengeance. But the blood of Christ now atones and and brings us forgiveness. And this is the image uh, that comes up again in in the Mount Sinai covenant in Exodus chapter 24, when Moses, uh, after the people 
had this fearful uh, theophany at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, God says, bring up you and the elders, come up and see me. But before they go up, they have the scene of the covenant. They offer sacrifice. And Moses takes blood and he sprinkles the blood of the covenant all over the people and the 70. And then they go up and they see God and they don't get killed. So that's the idea of the, of the blood of Jesus that we can, through that covenant blood, enter in the presence of God and not get torched. <laughs> so this image, therefore, um, is, is of an image, I think, that comes directly from Exodus 19, God coming in fire and tempestuousness all about him. And uh, again, referred to again in Hebrews 12. So God's appearing, come, and in verse 4, he repeats his, his instruction. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Now, what's this thing about the heavens and the earth? They have a, a certain role that, that kind of um, is perpetual in the uh, in the covenant, w what's their role? All inclusive. Yeah, are they are they together? They're, heaven and earth are, are not a separate thing, but together. What is what is it in the um, uh, in the law when you're having a trial that you need two or three of witnesses? Witnesses. witnesses. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, Are they God's witnesses? Yeah, that's the idea. Um, so, in like in Deuteronomy 32, he says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, <clears throat> and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. And he'll say sometimes, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. So the idea that the creation is called his witness to, to what his people are doing. He So God's if God's going to put his people on trial, bring a lawsuit against his people, charges, he's going to introduce some witnesses who will say, yeah, that's I've <laughs> seen that. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, that I call the heavens from above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me and the, the parallel is interesting here. This is where the parallelism of um, the Psalms is helps us with kind of get. So gather my saints together to me. And who are the saints? Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So the, the, the idea of saint is defined here. It's not a general person. It's, it's somebody who's entered into the covenant with God by sacrifice. <clears throat> so at Mount Sinai, that's those who are in under the blood of the covenant, God's covenant people. And that sacrifice was uh, to be God's people throughout the, the, the Old Testament was the covenant of circumcision that, that perpetuated in people who were uh, within the covenant were those who were connected to his people. They made a covenant with, by sacrifice. So the sacrifice that has now been fulfilled by Christ, but still our covenant with him is by sacrifice. We were 
baptized into the death of Christ. We're buried with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should walk in newness of life. Our standing with God comes through the cross of Jesus. So we're, and, and, and baptism being the a covenant sign that has replaced circumcision. Um, and also has made, has, has, has changed in the New Testament the constituency of God's covenant people. It's no longer, um, merely the descendants of Abraham who, who keep the covenant of circumcision, but it's all who put their faith in Jesus and, 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 and the baptized. We're not going to get into what if somebody didn't Get a chance to baptize. We're not doing that today. But the, the general definition of covenant people are those who those who believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized into His body. Those who made a covenant with you by sacrifice. And holy ones here um, clearly does not necessarily refer to the um, evident holiness of individual lives. It refers to the the root word in the Old Testament of holy is to be set apart. <clears throat> Since God has marked his people with the blood of the covenant and marked us with the gift of the Spirit, we're set apart. That's what makes us holy, by God. It's not out of that being set apart, we're called to become what we are, to live as those who belong to God set apart. But the but the holiness, the, the root Identity is holy has nothing to do with your personal behavior. It has to do with your identity that God has placed on you. Um, That's Old Testament. This is, I think, this is new and old. old I think old. there's always, yeah. I think the holy ones uh, have always been there when, when God thinks about His saints. Those are His people. He's made a covenant with, and um, and this is um, the reason that. The Christian life always begins with grace and results in a vocation to live in a holy way. And whenever we think that our standing has something to do with just how well we've got it, we, we begin to drift into, into something else. And that's why we always come back to our prayer to renew that covenant relationship, to remember that our sins are forgiven, and to renew that forgiveness because we might have slipped, <laughs> and then go and then go forth to love, to be holy. Okay, now where I've done something wrong, I will now make it right. So the holy ones are are uh, God's covenant people. Well, clearly that's what he means here. Those who um, have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. I, I want to say something here because this is this raises a question which I don't want to pursue very far here, um, but it's a little bit of a distinction between you know the universality of God's love for all people. And the particularity of the fact that there is a church 
his people. There are people who are definitively his. And I think that in the popular mind, or maybe it's not popular mind, it's the wrong way to say it, maybe the, the, the modern mind that has gotten away from understanding of the fallenness of humanity and their need for salvation, God becomes the one who arbitrarily casts people off into some hell, you know, on a whim. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in the biblical idea, no, that's where people went by their own disobedience. And Christ has come to save the world. And the, the particular calling of his people are so that they can be witnesses to the whole world to draw the whole world into relationship with God. But the whole world isn't in relation with God by default. And that's sometimes when we get the idea, well, everyone's a child of God. There, there's a sense in which that's true. But if so, they're, they're an estranged child of God. <laughs> you know, and, and we must come back in. And that requires... And that, that, that's an act of repentance and faith. So a lot of times this distinction between particularity and universality focuses on, do people really need to repent? And is there something like faith in Christ required, or can everyone just kind of do what they're doing? And that's not what the Bible says, whatever. <laughs> but, but the will of God is, and even for Israel, this is, this is something that, that the purpose of, of calling a people was for them to be a witness to all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. And that is fulfilled in the Messiah who, who comes to fulfill the covenant, who becomes a light to the Gentiles because the nation of Israel did not become a light to the Gentiles. They became a bad example in some ways. St. Paul says in Romans. Dante, that's what Dante is about. Um, that just blew me away when I realized what he was saying in the Inferno. Everyone in hell chose to be there and wants to be there. It chose not to seek God. Not to, yeah, not to, not to give up one's own. Because we can talk generally about something. We have to save. It's different to say, well, we, we each of us have to make a decision to let go of, of my will for his will. And that's, oh, well, it's, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis's Gray City and the Great Divorce. We go, yeah, okay, but I want my own to do your way. Well, I have my own house. You have your own house. Keep building houses. So, yeah, anyway. So being a witness, so when, when Christ parting words in Matthew is make disciples into all the world and then Luke preach in my name. Uh, that's, that's being a witness. That, that's, that's part and parcel of being a witness. Is that correct? I'm asking you that. Um, clearly. <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm not sure I understand the gist of that. Well, it, so making disciples in my name, that, as being a witness, is that by, is that, do we make disciples 
for Christ by just being a witness? Well, in, in, the, in the theology of the body of Christ, of course, when Jesus says, go into all nations, he's talking to the apostles because yeah, he's right. sending them out. Yeah. Not everyone's sent to go. So the apostolic ministry will be <clears throat> focused on teaching, proclamation, and, and as the body of Christ manifests itself in each place, every member of the body has a role in that corporate witness. That role may simply be a, a, with the gift of serving. It may be the gift of, of something else. So not everybody. I think this is something that some evangelical yes, yes, yes. churches sort of assumed that everybody was supposed to do street evangelism. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and you know, your, your, your witness... Um, some may be called to do that. Yeah. Some Good. probably are called not to do that because yeah. that's, you know, that's uh, too. and some are not in touch with their own peculiar motives for doing that. That's the, the real danger of, of some of the spiritual <clears throat> quote unquote teachers that they, um, claim God spoke to them, but they're not really aware that it's, that wasn't the voice yeah, that right. they were that hearing. Heartburn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, that's helpful because that is stuck in my craw, if you will, coming from evangelical background and, and having that almost crammed down your my throat, you know. And so yeah. that, that helps explain. Yeah, you felt bad if you weren't out in the street doing yeah, it. Right. So the introverted person whose gift was humble contemplative prayer and service right. always felt, well, was never drawn to that or was made to feel really bad there. <laughs> so... Um, you're gathering the saints, and then verse 6, um, let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. So heavens is a witness there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something here that comes out in Revelation as a kind of refrain. When, the, when, when this particular judgments of God are coming down, it says, um, true and just are thy judgments. So that heavens declare, yes, what, you, what God is doing is right as opposed to what some of you of his people are doing is not right. <laughs> God couldn't do anything but right. He it? can't do anything but right. That's right. That's what makes him intrinsically righteous. And the more we become like him, the more we will be like that. And I think it's, it's um, we are not at a place where we are not able to not do anything wrong. But I do think that as one progresses in the Christian life, it will be it will be harder to sustain. You can't really live in a prayerful relationship with God and lie and cheat and you know steal and come. And there's, it doesn't work. And that's why a lot of times people ah, I don't go to church anymore. A lot of times, like they have some moral qualms. No, they were doing something in their life, and they can't. It's not it's not consistent with what you know what they encounter in church. So they have to drift away, which is a, gets a little bit of that image. I'm gonna live my way. Well, that means you're not going to be able to be here comfortably. And then we start, oh, there's hypocrites in church. Like I always love Bishop Morse's line, there's always room for one more. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the real experience of grace is when you begin to realize that, yeah, I'm a hypocrite too. Well, I understand that. I can look at the other member of the church like, we might see some things, maybe some more immaturity based on, but we can have compassion. We don't have to rate, jump on him. Why not? Well, because we don't want to be jumped on. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, verse seven. 
Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Here's his case. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. I'll finish this whole sacrifice thing. You okay? If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Now, let's stop there. Okay, this, here, this particular um, accusation, testimony, echoes a lot of some things that the prophet Isaiah says. And we're going to begin to read Isaiah during Advent, so there's a correspondence there. Um, let me read... Um, From Isaiah, uh, prophet Isaiah, chapter 1, um, verse 10. He's talking to Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of, Solom, of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's those metaphorically calling Israel's leaders Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my hates. They are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Then the, the punchline is, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. So, and back in the psalm, the sacrifices are always there. Um, so, the question here is, um, does this mean that God, in any of the psalm or in Isaiah, is rejecting formal worship? No, he's rejecting hypocrisy. Okay. Because all these things he said in Isaiah, and all the things that he's saying here, I don't need this, are things he told them to offer. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, if, if he finds incense offensive, why do we have it? I think well, it's, what we're it's, asking. it's a motive. So, but, but, but again, if, you, if, you, if he finds incense offensive, why did he command Israel to offer it? I don't, I don't know that he did. He did. Yes, mm -hmm. he did. Okay. He did. There's an altar of incense in the temple mm -hmm. in which incense is continually burning before God. Which, which 
should clue us in that this is not a, a broadside elimination of formal worship that God himself mm-hmm. prescribed. Mm-hmm. The rituals without the rest. Without the rest. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's a, it, and this is the timeless danger of religion where by fulfilling religious obligations, I excuse myself from the, the re- really loving people. <laughs> I like what uh, a black heart. <laughs> what Reardon says here: God's displeasure at a mere external observance of religious practices without true faith, inner repentance, moral responsibility, and the gift of the heart. So, so what would we, if we were to say, well, God didn't really mean Israel to 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 um, to not do all these things? How would how what? How would we know that maybe from the New Testament? What was Jesus' early life like, as far as we know? What did he do at age 12? Not, after, after he did what? Went, went to the Passover feast. Mm-hmm. And the Passover feast was a bloody, sacrificial oh, ritual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So says uh, Alfred Edersheim in his recalling of the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Uh, every every uh, family uh, brought their lamb. Uh, blood was poured in into the temple, and people took their lambs home. So Jesus participated in in the feasts prescribed by the law of Moses. But what we get with Jesus is the sort of participation of the heart. It's the incarnation, and we could also say there's another way to go with this. I think that's important to highlight that. You can say because some people actually do. There are people, usually people with a with a um, tangentious point in mind, <laughs> want to say that yeah, Isaiah just means and, and the Psalm. You just get rid of it. God doesn't want any worship at all. Just love God from your heart. Go around. Uh, but there's another problem um, with on the other end, I should say, of the spectrum. We just say, yeah, I just all about the heart, but then it has no expression in actual worship. There is something about um, getting up, traveling to the, be together with the community, offering yourself in your body. And this is um, sacramental religion, embodied incarnational religion. The word was made flesh. If it's made flesh in us, then our religion will be a a union of flesh and spirit. It will be loving in the body, but loving with the spirit. And um, so, if we the people who say they don't need any, you know, it's usually organized religion. They like their own disorganized religion, which seems to look a lot like what they want. Um, that making sacrifices in a bodied way to, to worship is a, appropriate to God because, um, but he want, he doesn't want that to be an excuse for not doing what he wants you to do everywhere else. Religion can't, you can't do this formally in church and then um, go off and... Um, Eat your wife. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so... Um, Jeremiah has a great, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 7, 
where he said, God says, Jeremiah, go stand by the temple gate. And, and, uh, it basically a sermon says, and just tell the people, don't think just because you come here and offer these sacrifices, you give this, and you go out and lie and cheat and commit adultery. You know, it's not going to work like that. So it must be a transformation of life. So let's, let's, um, uh, let's, Formal religion by itself without the heart is unacceptable. But there's plenty of ways we can see that the heart, allegedly the heart, without some embodied practice. St. James says, um, you know, you you have faith, you know, and I have works. You show me your I'll show you my faith by my works. And people say, I just yeah, I believe it's all or or as it says to the to the hungry, be warmed, be filled, <laughs> without giving them anything. So embodied actions important um, <clears throat> that as an expression of of, of our priority. So what does God want? Let's look at verse fourteen. Offer to God thanksgiving, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon him in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Now, Thanksgiving, the word for Thanksgiving has, you know, has a large, large sense of praise, honor. Praise God for who he is. Um, certainly, the word Thanksgiving would resonate for us eucharistically, because that's, Eucharist is the Greek word for Thanksgiving. Um, but it also highlights that the act of worship is a fundamentally an act of praising God for who he is and what he's done to create us and redeem us. It's not an act by which we pile up some kind of merit that earns something. So, I think this is really where in my own experience, it could be different by person's personality types, but coming to God in worship and, and remembering every time you come that your sins are forgiven, you may come with a confession that has to experience again what Christ has already done. and There may be some chastening in our lives we have to go through, but it's done. And to recognize that's the glory of God. It's already done. We come and so that's why it's always thanksgiving and praise. That will include confession of sin and all that kind of stuff. But it's not that we're coming to do something to earn something. It's always thanks. It's always remembering what God has done and is doing. That's the ground for then going out. If you can take that gift of complete forgiveness and then go out. We had a parable a couple weeks ago on Sunday, the parable of the unforgiving servant who comes, oh Lord, yeah, I, I have patience, I'll pay all, which is a funny thing in that parable because he owes 10 or 15 million dollars, which is really inconceivable in the man's entire lifetime. He's going to be able to work it off. You know, um, it's the first clue he doesn't get it. <laughs> um, but God's okay. And that's when we come to God, it's like, it's all okay. But you're the object of grace that way. 
and then to go away and not respond to that love with love. If you've been, if you've experienced that, that is what should move us. A parable, right? When he goes to tell the servant, same thing. He he, he beats <laughs> him up because he's mad that he was held accountable. And and this gets back to keep what Rob was saying about Dante. It's like there's the reality of forgiveness that he doesn't really want. He he doesn't want to be reminded. He wants to think he's going to pay it all. He's going to do all these things. You can't. Mm-hmm. So to be to really get grace is to understand you can't. But God's going to forgive you. So how much then should you both love your neighbor and also continually come back to to give thanks? So if we if giving those pay your vows here, we can say do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Fulfill your obligations to people and to God. Keep keep you know do the things you said you do. And you can think about your baptismal vows. Promise to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And call upon me the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So we live in a relationship with God. When we pray, he comes to us. And he's always rescuing us from stuff. He's always present with us in stuff. So that's what he wants. He wants us to offer praise and worship. He wants us then to live faithfully. He wants us to live in relationship. We, we can call. We can call to him, and he'll he'll respond. We can realize his glory. But then to the wicked in verse sixteen, God says, "What right do you have to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth?" What's interesting about this is this suggests. That this is, these are all God's people who by cut, who have made the people by covenant, by sacrifice, but there's some of them are not faithful. So we, so in the judgment, he's separating those who are outwardly under the covenant, those who are living faithfully and those who are not living faithfully. So what right do you, they, but these people, they, they declare statutes or take my covenant in your mouth. They talk about the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, he does the will of my Father. And, it's, and, and the next verse says, seeing you hate instruction. And this also instruction has the idea of chastening and disciplining. You, you hate to be corrected. You talk about it, but then when you're, you're going to be corrected, you, you turn away from it. And cast my word behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him. And you have been partaker with adulterers. Um, So dishonesty, you consent to dishonesty. Let's just broaden this out because we think a thief went and stole something purposely at the store. We, are we consenting, you know, consenting to dishonesty in life where someone's not doing the right thing? Partake with adulterers. Um, this can also have a um, a religious component where, uh, because in Israel, uh, people were to idol shrines, mm-hmm. and that God saw that as adultery. 
you're faithful to me, so you're coming here and giving your whole heart, but then you go down there and you 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 are unfaithful to me by doing this other thing. <clears throat> so it's a compromised life where we're, we're uniting ourselves to other kinds of things that are not faithful to God. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. This is the sins of the tongue, which are always the easiest, the most tempting. It's just right there to say. St. James says the tongue is the, it's like a ship. It's hard to tame or hard to steer. He says the tongue, a little rudder steers the whole ship. Um, hey, uh, Bishop? Yes. Yeah. One thing, too, what I was... I was wondering about if if you saw, I have this other translation, the Brenton one right now, but if if you saw a thief, you ran along with him. I was thinking of too, like Satan is called, he's the, he's the thief, the steal, kills, and destroys. So that idea of like whenever we go along with the ways that Satan's pattern is, that's that's the thief in my life. <laughs> well, I, but that would be any that would be any form of dishonesty, right? So, yeah. Right, like you were saying. So yeah, I guess right. So you sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. <clears throat> um, gossip or, or, or talking about people in, in, in unkind ways. <clears throat> And for us, brother, your own mother's son has an a, um, image within the church of all those who belong to Christ. Are <clears throat> Jesus said, who is my mother, my brother, whoever does the will of God. So this, um, we're accountable in this way to a, a larger group than just our blood family. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, that you could, like God talked about righteousness, but didn't really care about it, actually doing it. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. This, um, calls to mind for me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, where Jesus said, <clears throat> But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. It's but again, for, for us, the idea of forgiveness is not that after we're forgiven, God's going to remember everything. Then, so far as the East is from the West, but the point is, we got we have to begin to do better than that. We do better when we're talking about people. <clears throat> we can't pretend that we love God if we're always characterized by slander. But it's good to remember. Oh, yeah, there's a. It's kind of like the the, mod, the contemporary age has highlighted this that whenever anyone does anything wrong, someone records it. Like used to be get away, used to be able to get away with a lot more. Now someone got the YouTube video. There you are. So, uh, so 
see, we're talking joking before about a recorded class, you know, there it is, you know. Mm-hmm. We just play back briefly. Uh, there's that one cute commercial, I actually think, where they, a family argument like, you said you're going to bring this. No, I didn't. And they, they go to the replay. Oh, and yeah. throws a challenge flag. <laughs> yeah, see, you did. <laughs> and that's makes the point. Yeah. Now consider this, verse 22, you who forget God. And so that forget should always be held in that sense of what we're always called to, which is remember. Mm-hmm. Do this in remembrance. Recollection, the, the goal of the spiritual life is to be in constant remembrance of God's presence. When we do that, when we live in that, it's harder to fall in, at least for too long, we can anxiously or reactively head into something when we pull back from it. You forget, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. And part of the point here, because this, again, God will get the, oh, God's so mean and judging. A righteous God has to. We can't have evil in the world and have it not be, if he's going to come to judge the world in righteousness, then it's required that everything that's wrong, be made right. And for God to say, oh, well, no big deal, um, would would be unjust. Whoever offers me praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct right, that will show the salvation of God. Now, it's interesting there, that parallel. Offers praise, glorifies, orders his conduct to right. Those are parallels. Mm-hmm. So praise and right conduct mm-hmm. are, uh, and this is kind of the idea of the living sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, that, of Romans 12 that comes up in the liturgy. Offer yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And then St. Paul goes on in Romans 12 to talk about what that looks like mm-hmm. in action to be a whole living sacrifice. And they will show the salvation of God. So, we're stopped there. That just seems to me to be a quintessential Advent song. Gather to judgment. <laughs> Let's look at this <laughs> to think about our practice of religion and, and the merging of, of, of outward action and heart during the season. So, all right. Let's pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. If you all be with us, Jim, Phyllis, Elizabeth, Constance, Cheryl, by locating Mimi, good to see you. I think we had uh, Katie on there too. Yeah. Yes, Katie's there. Oh, Hi, there Katie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did I tell you I'm not a big fan of blue jeans anymore?
Bye, Mimi. Yeah,